Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Stephen Dickinson. I'm the lead pastor here at The Vine, and we're finishing up the God Questions series today. And I hope it's been helpful to you so far. But uh, starting next week, we're going to be looking at some really practical and simple rules for living the Christian life, and you're not going to want to miss it. So I hope you'll join us for that. But here recently, we've hit some pretty big questions the last several weeks. Questions like, is God real? Is the Bible true? Do all roads lead to heaven? And today, I'm going to attempt to answer the question, how can a good and loving God allow pain and suffering? And this is an age-old question and, and one that you may be wrestling with depending on what you believe about God or His power or His goodness. In light of some of the things that are happening around the world, think Ukraine, think Israel, you know, or, or maybe something's happening closer to home. This subject may be on many of our minds right now. There comes a time when, uh, maybe multiple times, in each of our lives, when we just sort of throw our hands up in the air and we go, God, what, what are you doing? You know, why me? Why her? Why now? He's, he's too young, God. She, she's too nice. Not again. You know, wh- why is this happening to me? And it's not a matter of if something is going to happen. It's a, a matter of when. And unlike all the other gods of various religions, which we talked about a few weeks ago, our God chose to enter into the physical world and walk with us through life. He has firsthand experience with pain and suffering. He also told us the truth about suffering. He didn't try to sugarcoat it. He said in John sixteen thirty three, Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. He didn't say you might. He said you will. And there are situations that, that come up that provide an opportunity for, for non-believers, non-Christians, to go, oh, hey, where's your God now? To which the believer responds, well, he's, he's right here with me, right? The God of the Bible never said that he would keep bad things from happening. He just promised that he would be in the middle of it when it did. And this is the context in which I'm going to answer our question of, of why suffering exists. And so my explanation this morning is really for, for the believer. It's for Christians. And so if you're here today and you haven't fully embraced Christianity or, or Christ, or maybe you're on the fence and, and you've still got a lot of questions, I, I want you to know that I can't even begin to speak intelligently about your pain and your suffering because it's your pain. It's your suffering, and it's personal. But what I can do, hopefully, is give you a perspective that will help you and help all of us make sense of what appears to be senseless pain and suffering in this world and in our lives. So that why question, it goes back thousands of years. It was asked in the Old Testament by people like Moses and King David. Even the writers of the Psalms wrestled with this dichotomy of a good and loving God and then a not-so-good and sometimes bad world. You know, the, the entire book of Job is about maintaining faith and hope in the midst of suffering. More recently, the question of why was especially relevant during the 20th century where we witnessed two world wars, the Holocaust, genocide in the Soviet Union, China, and Rwanda. 
devastating famines in Africa, the killing fields of Cambodia, the emergence of AIDS, and ethnic cleansing of Kosovo. The 21st century didn't start off any better, if you'll remember Hurricane Katrina, a tsunami that devastated Japan, the terrorist attacks of 9-11, and the chemical weapons experiment on innocent people in Syria. And, And then, of course, we had COVID, this pandemic that shut down the world and affected everybody. And those are just a few catastrophic events that illustrate that pain and suffering is very much a part of our lives. On a much more personal level, it's when a mother of three young kids gets diagnosed with terminal cancer. Or a father doesn't come home from work because he was killed in a traffic accident. Or a young man visits a college campus and begins shooting innocent people because he is so out of touch with reality, so isolated from community, and so lost spiritually that that's what he wants his legacy to be. A starving child, a broken family, an addicted parent, an endless cycle of abuse. Why does any of this happen if there is a loving and powerful God? Why do bad things happen? Well, to help me, and I... I hope it's going to help you kind of get my mind wrapped around this. I've broken the explanation into three different categories. And so if you're a note taker, this is going to be pretty simple. You're going to like this. Number one, in the beginning. Number two, in the meantime. And number three, in the end. And so you, you can kind of think of it in terms of your Bible. You know, you've got, you've got Genesis in the beginning. You've got Revelation in the end. Everything else is kind of sandwiched in the middle there. It's in the meantime. And Revelation may be the end of the Bible, but it's really not the end of the story. I mean, there are prophecies that haven't been fulfilled yet. Namely, Jesus is coming back. And so we're still living in the meantime. You are a part of the story. It is still going on. But let's dive into number one. In the beginning, God created everything. So why didn't he simply create a world where tragedy and suffering didn't exist? Well, the answer is he did. Things were perfect in the beginning. Genesis 1.31 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. There was no pain, suffering, death, or disease. The relationship between God and humanity was in harmony, and things were great. But if God didn't create pain and suffering, death, or disease, where, where did they come from? Well, God has existed forever. So he's outside the limits of time. And he has existed as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This three in one, where we get our concept of the Trinity, and together in this perfect relationship of love. And so Love is the highest value in the universe, the highest value in in God's kingdom. And when God decided to create human beings, he wanted us to experience that love. But in order to experience that love, God had to give us the freedom to choose it. Because you can't coerce or force someone to love you. It just doesn't work that way. It's got to be a choice. It's like the overbearing boyfriend or girlfriend or abusive spouse or the mean parent that says, Oh, oh, yeah, you're going to love me whether you want to or not. You know it doesn't work that way. See, the gift of free will is what gives us the ability to love, and that's why it was given to us. 
But with free will comes an enormous amount of responsibility because it can be abused and misused, and that's exactly what humanity did in the beginning. And it's what we really continue to do so often on an individual basis. Not long after humanity was created, we abused our free will by rejecting God. Essentially, we said, God, you're not enough. And so we turned from Him towards our own wisdom. And that resulted in the introduction of sin. Another way of looking at that is, with Adam and Eve's decision to disobey God and go rogue, both moral evil and natural evil entered the world. And moral evil is the immorality, it's the pain and the suffering, the tragedy that comes because we choose to be selfish or arrogant or uncaring, controlling, hateful, abusive. I mean, so much of the world's suffering results from the sinful action or inaction of ourselves and others. For example, people look around the world and they see famine and they see starvation and they ask, where is God in all of this? But the reality is we produce enough food to provide supersized portions to every single person on the planet. It's just that we can't get it to everybody because of things like dirty politics, power plays, control, greed, and the love of money. Most often we are victims of our own sinfulness that entered the world a long time ago because we chose not to trust and love God with our whole heart, mind, and soul. So that's moral evil. When it comes to natural evil, these are things like wildfires, earthquakes, tornadoes, hurricanes, human genetic mutations, chemical imbalances that cause suffering for people. And these are also a result of sin entering the world. As one author put it, when we humans told God to shove off, He partially honored our request. Nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and disease began. Pain and death became part of the human experience. The Apostle Paul tries to help explain this in Romans 8 when he writes in verse 22, We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. So why has all of creation been groaning? Because sin entered the world through human choice and everything has been dying and in a state of decay ever since. And even nature longs for redemption to come and for things to be made right. So our desire to go against God and to do our own thing resulted in a moral and a natural imbalance of God's good creation and it opened the window for pain and suffering to exist. It's not just that something in your little world broke. The the whole world's broken. It's not just that something in one of your kids broke. The whole world's broken. It's not just that something in your career or your marriage or your DNA broke. The whole world is broken. It's why things just don't work out sometimes. It's why things go wrong. It's why you wanted to have a bunch of kids, but you can't have any. It's why you wanted to travel when you retired, but now that you're retired, you can't travel because you're physically unable to do it. It's why you raised your kids to go this way and they went that way. The whole world is broken and humanity broke it because a selfish decision was made and is still being made on an individual basis to reject all that God has to offer. 
And so now that we have this biblical understanding of, of how pain and suffering got started in the beginning, and we know that it's part of our human condition and experience, what do we do in the meantime? How are we, as children of God, supposed to view and understand and get through such tragic events and suffering? We have to remember that even though suffering isn't good, I mean, nobody likes it, God can use it to accomplish some sort of redemptive work in your life and in the world. In Romans 8, 28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Notice this verse doesn't say that God causes bad things to happen. It just promises that when they do happen, God will somehow make something good emerge. It doesn't say when he'll do it or how he'll do it or even that he's going to do it in our lifetime. But he will make something good come out of a bad situation if we're committed to following him. Remember that verse says, for those who love him that are called according to his purpose. And you may be thinking, listen, there's really no way that God could do anything good or bring anything good out of my situation. The harm was, it's too great. The damage too extreme. The depth of my suffering has been just too much. I just don't see how God could do it. And I know it may sound impossible, but if God can take the very worst thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe, which is deicide or or the death of his son on a cross, if he can take that and turn it into the very best thing that's ever happened in the universe, then surely God can take the negative circumstances of your life and create something good from them. That's the very essence of the gospel. The murder of the innocent Son of God resulting in the salvation of the world. That's redemption. It's taking evil and leveraging it for something that's good. And nobody does it better than God. Romans 5, beginning with verse 1, says this, Since we have been justified through faith because of the cross, you know that very bad thing that happened in history that God used for good? Since we've been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. And we boast or we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, And not only that, but listen to this, we also glory in our suffering. Wait a minute. What? Does Paul know what I'm going through? Can he relate to what's happening in my life? He says, yeah, we, we glory in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And so the sequence is suffering, Perseverance, character, hope. And that word suffering, Paul actually uses a word that's translated as tribulation, which comes from the Latin word tribulum. In Paul's day, a tribulum was a a heavy piece of wood with spikes in it. It was like this big sled with cleats in it, and, and they used it for threshing the grain. So they would drag the tribulum over the grain, and it would separate the wheat from the chaff. And as we go through suffering or go through tribulations and we depend on God's grace to get us through it, the trials only purify us and help us to get rid of the chaff so that we can be more like Christ, more holy. I mean, that's the irony 
of pain and suffering, that it has the potential to draw us closer to God. And so how should we view pain and suffering in the meantime, you know, in our generation, while we're waiting for God to either do something really good or for it just to all be over with? Well, the brother of Jesus told his generation in the midst of widespread horrific persecution in James 1-2, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. There's that word that Paul used. Maybe, maybe James pulled it from him. I don't know. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. But still, we doubt, we wonder, we question. If God has the power to end the pain and suffering right now, why doesn't he do it? I think the best way that I could answer that is to simply say, just because he hasn't done it yet, doesn't mean that he won't do it. We're not ready. God's not done. The Bible says that the story of this world isn't over yet. It says the the day will come when sickness and pain will be eradicated and people will be held accountable for their evil, what they've done. Justice will be served in a perfect way. That day's coming, but not yet. So what's the delay? I mean, what's holding God up? Well, one answer is we are. God is actually delaying the fulfillment of history in anticipation that more people will put their trust and their love in Him and spend eternity in heaven. So He's delaying everything out of His love for us. 2 Peter 3.9 says it, The Lord is not slow in keeping His promises, as some understand slowness. See, His time is not the same as our time. We, we, we can't even really comprehend it, and we get so impatient. And it says, But He, God, is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, to me, that, that's evidence of a loving God, that He would care that much for us. When you're in the midst of a personal tragedy or or pain, you're in the middle of suffering, man, it can be hard to to look at it from God's perspective, which is really long-term. It's big picture, something that we can't really comprehend. It's hard to imagine what it's going to be like in the end of this world. And that's the third point here, in the end. Once again, Paul helps us, though. He helps us see the big picture. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, he says, for our light and momentary troubles. There he is again. Does he not know what I'm going through? You know, light and momentary troubles. But we got to remember, this is the Apostle Paul. This guy was flogged with 39 lashes. So Deuteronomy says they couldn't do it more than 40. So he got the maximum amount, really, 39, on five separate occasions, probably nothing but scar tissue on his back. They tried to stone him to death. He was shipwrecked, thrown in prison. At times he was homeless, starving, and thirsty. So he has the right to use this language of light and momentary troubles if he wants to. That's the way he saw it. He says our light and momentary troubles, they're achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He said in Romans 8.18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not to us, in us. 
And I would imagine that that's exactly how Jesus approached his life on earth, knowing that it wasn't going to end well for him, knowing that the pain and suffering was just around the corner. He also knew that one day he would be back in his rightful place with God and the Holy Spirit where there's no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no suffering, a place where 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. But in order for us to get there, the cross had to happen. The ultimate reminder that suffering is a part of this broken world. I started this message with part of what Jesus said in John 16.33. Now let me give you the entire verse. So this is the beginning of it. I'd given you the end of it. Jesus said, I have told you these things. So he's telling them that he's got he's to suffer. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. You will have suffering in the world, but be courageous. I have conquered the world. In other words, he offers us the two things that we need most when we're suffering and we're going through tribulation. We need peace in the midst of it, and we need courage to move forward into the future we got to get past it. And this is what sets the people of God apart from the rest of the world, those who, who love Him and are called according to His purpose. How we deal with and understand suffering, it's different than everybody else's. We know why it exists, and we know it won't last forever, ever, because Christ has conquered the world. Through His own suffering and death, He has deprived this world of its ultimate power over you. Suffering doesn't have the last word anymore. Death doesn't have the last word anymore. God has the last word. God isn't some distant, detached, and disinterested deity in a galaxy far, far away. He's right here. God's ultimate answer to our brokenness isn't a long theological explanation. It's Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with us. King Solomon said, Not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. And Paul said, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So instead of asking, Why do bad things happen to good people? Perhaps the better question is, Why do good things happen to any of us? See, we get caught up in thinking that we deserve nothing but the best. But from a biblical perspective, does anybody really want what they deserve? I know I don't. Because what we deserve is death on a cross. What we've been given is new life in Christ. And it is through new life in Christ that we realize that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.